Welcome to Under the Bleachers. This is a podcast that explores all things sports, all things queer, and the fabulous intersection where queer and sports meet. This podcast is brought to you by Team DC, the nonprofit association of LGBTQ plus sports and recreation organizations in the Washington, D.C. area. I'm Laura. I'm the vice president of Team DC, and I've played and loved sports my whole life. I've played with Team DC member clubs, the DC Furies Women's Rugby Club, and Rogue Darts. And I'm Gabe. I'm also on the board of Team DC, and I'm a diehard sports fan. I've played with many of the Team DC member clubs, including the DC Gay Flag Football League, Kara Bowling, Stonewall Kickball, Rogue Darts, and the Washington Scandals Rugby Football Club. I'm also a member of the DC Different Drummers, and I do a little bit of drag on the side. We hope you enjoy this week's trip under the bleachers. Welcome, everyone. Lauren Gabe here. It's December 20th, and you're listening to Under the Bleachers. On this podcast, we take turns, and this week, it's Laura's turn to choose our topics. For our discussion of all things queer, she chose Anne Rice. For our conversation of all things sports, she chose a new CTE story out of the NFL. And for our topic at the intersection of sports and queer, we're discussing America's sweetheart, Megan Rapino. After that, we're going to share our interview with Team DC member club, the DC Gales. First, an update on Team DC. The Team DC annual meeting will be held on Saturday, January 8th, 2022 at the DC Center, 2014th Street Northwest in the second floor conference room at 10 a.m. A light breakfast will be served starting at 9.30. All member clubs are strongly encouraged to send a representative. Team DC board elections will be held at the annual meeting and nominations are being accepted now. Positions of election include vice president, secretary, treasurer, board member for scholarship, board member for fundraising, board member for communications, and board member in charge of the night out series. If you would like to nominate yourself or another person, or if you would like to know more information about any of these positions, please email less at teamdc.org. Be sure to follow Team DC and its member clubs on social media for updates. Find Team DC on Facebook at Team DC LGBT and on Twitter and Instagram at Team DC Sports. Laura and I will be bringing you new episodes of Under the Bleachers on Mondays at underthebleachers.podbean.com and on all your favorite podcast apps, including Apple Podcast and Google Podcast. This is our second to the last episode of the season, but we'll be back in the spring for season four. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. And while you're at it, tell your friends to subscribe to Under the Bleachers for all the latest news at the intersection of sports and queer. Now, here's Laura with our first topic in this week's trip, Under the Bleachers. Okay, for my queer topic this week, we say farewell to Anne Rice. Famed novelist Anne Rice passed away last week at the age of 80. While she will first and foremost be remembered as an iconic writer of gothic horror, most notably for her Vampire Chronicles series, her advocacy for LGBTQ rights and steadfast support of her enthusiastic gay fan base would become an essential part of her legacy. Rice wrote the first and most famous book in the Vampire Chronicles series, Interview with a Vampire, in 1976, and the book was adapted into a film in 1994 starring Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt, and it's also currently in development as a TV series. While the book failed to impress critics, it became an immediate commercial success, in large part because of its popularity among gay readers. The novel centers on vampires Luis and Lestat, 
Luis tells a young reporter whom he meets in a dark San Francisco bar about immortal life alongside his sinister and seductive maker, Lestat, and he relates how the two took in a young child, Claudia, while living in New Orleans and proceeded to parent her over decades as she remained physically frozen in time. The domestic plotline and erotic dialogue made the novel ripe for queer readings, which Rice would confirm over the years. In a 2012 interview, she called Luis and Lestat the first vampire same-sex parents. Rice's ties to the LGBTQ community were deepened and made more personal when her son Christopher came out as gay after graduating from high school. Rice was raised in New Orleans by Irish Catholic parents, but in 2010, Rice announced that she left the Christian faith permanently. In an interview with the Los Angeles Times following the announcement, she cited the Pope's unwillingness to help address the AIDS epidemic as one of the reasons she was leaving the church. She also told NPR that the church's stance on gay marriage was a key factor in her decision. Quote, I didn't anticipate at the beginning that the U.S. bishops were going to come out against same-sex marriage, that they were actually going to donate money to defeat the civil rights of homosexuals in the secular society. When that broke the news, I felt an intense pressure, she added, and I am a person who grew up with the saying that all that is needed for evil to prevail is for good people to do nothing, and I believe that statement. During a 45-year career that had a stunning impact on LGBTQ culture, Anne Rice wrote more than 40 books covering multiple genres. The best-selling author's legacy will live on not only in the work she left behind and through her LGBTQ advocacy, but in new projects yet to be released. So Gabe, have you read any of Anne Rice's books? Were you one of her queer goth followers in the 90s when Interview with a Vampire came out as a movie? I did, and I actually remember, I think it was high school that I did a book report on uh, Interview with a Vampire, which I thought was interesting that they're like, oh yeah, you can read this. Um, sure. Yeah, and, so I was, <laughs> and I remember growing up and hearing, you know, cause she spent some time in Texas, um, Side note, I'm recording this podcast from my uh, my childhood bedroom in far Texas. So, yeah, if I sound a little echoey, it's me. Um, no, yeah, I remember, you know, throughout um, basically her life talking about like Catholicism and how it was a big deal that she left because of the stance on gay marriage and kind of like she was one of the first, I guess, uh, celebrities out of the literature world to say, hey, this is the stance that I'm taking and I don't care if my fans are um you know getting upset with me or whatever i'm just this is what i'm gonna say and this is how i feel and yeah it was, it was a big deal when she said that she was leaving catholicism um and specifically citing the stance on gay marriage and how like the church was actually fighting it and stuff like that um but yeah i mean i love interview with the vampire i'm uh alia was amazing i'm glad the kids now are finally figuring out who alia is but queen of the damned was awesome <laughs> alia is amazing hands down like <laughs> I interview the vampire is such a sexy fucking amazing movie. It like is, I is. will watch it over and over again. It's just so good. Um, and like Christian Slater, who you only see for like seconds in the movie, is like that sexy in that movie too. Like I, <laughs> I'm like it's so erotic and like beautifully gay and queer and wonderful. I love it. I love it. Um, yeah, I mean Anne Rice was still writing books, and she and her. Uh, son have actually collaborated on a couple of books recently um, and I guess they have a couple that are finished that aren't haven't come out yet so they'll be coming out um, posthumously 
So that's kind of exciting, but yeah, no, uh, Anne Rice definitely, and not just, you know, leaving the church and the statement she made about that, but she's also publicly supported the trans community in a lot of different ways. Um, just a really special woman. She'll be missed. Yes. And I mean, vampires are super gay. So um, always. Absolutely. <laughs> she lived a long life. It was, it was an interesting life. And like, you know, going back to like some of her history and stuff like that, but it's, it's great to see people like that, especially like mothers that are supportive of their children and can take a stance like that. And they're just like proud to be who they are and proud of their families and stuff like that. So yeah, she's going to be missed. I definitely want to go back and read more of her books. Uh, I didn't finish all the Vampire Chronicles, but I know I need to go back and finish a whole bunch. All right, Laura, so what's going on in the sports world? All right, next up in sports, some scary news out of the NFL. The family of Vincent Jackson, the former Tampa Bay Buccaneers and San Diego Chargers wide receiver who was found dead in a hotel room in February at just 38 years old, announced this week that Jackson had stage two CTE at the time of his death. Jackson's widow, Lindsay, donated her husband's brain to the CTE Center at Boston University so that it could be studied. What they discovered, according to Dr. Ann McKee, who did the study on Jackson's brain, was mild frontal lobe atrophy and a split in the internal membrane, as well as multiple lesions on the brain. This would have caused symptoms like memory loss, mood swings, and difficulty solving problems and completing daily chores. Lindsay told the New York Times that her husband had been showing these symptoms since 2016, his final season in the NFL. Jackson's body was found by housekeepers on February 15th, just a week after his former team won the Super Bowl. According to Lindsay, the Bucks' successful 2020 season had been a source of joy for him, but it had also reminded him of the losing seasons he had during his five years with them. Jackson never had a diagnosed concussion during his entire 12-year NFL career, something he said during his life was fortunate. But while diagnosed concussions are contributors to CTE, less severe but repeated hits can also cause damage. According to the CTE Center at Boston University, around 20% of people who are diagnosed with CTE never had a diagnosed concussion. The likely culprit for Jackson was 20 years of games and practices as a wide receiver taking smaller hits nearly daily that began to add up to severe damage over time. His wife told the New York Times, quote, I think the message is if you played for a long time and you're experiencing symptoms, it's very likely that this is what it is. I didn't know that. Vincent didn't know that. We thought it was just concussions and we'd love for people to realize it's more than that. Gabe, um, did you hear this news, read this story? What do you think CTE is going to mean for the future of the NFL? I mean, I did hear about the news, um, and it's super unfortunate. I mean, he was 38. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, it was very scary. Like, I really yeah. didn't – It did. I really thought that without diagnosed concussions, you know, yeah, you'd still have a chance of getting CTE, but the idea that you would have it severely at 38 years old without ever having a diagnosed concussion is really scary. Yeah, and you're talking about, like, having – you know, basically saying that you cannot have – a long career in the NFL. Yeah. Well, and you know, I mean, I don't even think, I mean, and I'm not sure it even needs to be that, right? Like if you start playing football in Pop Warner and play through high school, yep. right? Like that could be 12 years, 10 years, college, right? Go, yeah. So, I mean, that could be enough. I, it's just, it's really terrifying. And I, I really don't know 
the more and more we learn about CTE and how scary it is and how it doesn't appear, you know, Vincent Jackson was of the era of the improved helmets and it yeah. didn't help him. Didn't <laughs> I mean, anything. certainly he was playing football before, right? Like, you know, he, he wasn't like a child when CTE became on the scenes. All of the, you know, improved equipment is going to help future generations. But I mean, this really, it makes it seem as though there might be no solution to this and maybe um, tackle football the way we know it won't be able to continue to be played. Yeah, or I'm wondering, is this going to be like, if you're going into the NFL, you're going to go into professional football, you know already that you're going to get CTE. It's going to happen, basically. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, if, that, if that was the case, I don't... Do but if that, if that was the case, would anyone do it? I mean, the symptoms are devastating. Devastating, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, yeah. kind of. I mean, we've talked about CTE before, and it's affected people's families and stuff like that, and it's crazy. And I think now that, um, I mean, it sucks, but more now that all these football players are donating or their families are donating their brains for research and study, we're we're learning a little bit more about it and figuring out that yeah, I mean, but I'm t- thinking about like other sports too, like boxers um hockey football. players I yeah, mean, yeah almost any professional sport almost mm-hmm. i mean there's there's risk for almost everything you do but yeah this is this is crazy especially for the nfl yeah i know it's it's tough and i i mean you know i don't want to write off football i think football is a beautiful sport but parents out there whose kids are thinking about starting up sports in the coming years obviously need this information and need to think about this when they're making those choices. Yeah, no, totally. Um, yeah, so I'm interested to see how the NFL is going to react and what they're going to do or what they're going to say, if they're going to say anything. Yeah. I mean, they know it's a problem and they've started those funds and stuff like that, but are they really going to do something about it? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, somebody, I think the players union is going to need to demand more studies about the efficacy of the equipment. And whether it's actually yeah. possible to protect against this or not, because that's the that's the issue that, you know, I think is what that's what people need to know. That's the question that needs to be answered to figure out how to move forward. Well, it's even like I'm, I'm thinking of like, you know, paralleling to like rugby and how like every year the laws change on what how you can tackle and what you can do just because they want to keep the players safe. But yeah. I, don't think and I mean, the NFL has been doing that. that in recent years. Right. Like they yeah. have more rules about targeting and. They do have new equipment standards, but you know, I just think- Can you stop it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they need to step up their game in terms of just really truly studying. It's hard, right? Because a CTE can't be diagnosed until somebody's dead. Yeah. So it makes it, it certainly makes um, the scientific study of all of this more difficult. But yeah, I mean, I just thought I'd offer this sobering story as we head into the holiday season yeah everybody feeling uh you know the the spirit of the season um Gay vampires and traumatic brain injuries yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs> what's going on in the intersection of sports and queer <laughs> all right at the intersection of sports and queer this week megan rapino has a new deal with nike A year and a half after Natasha Cloud unveiled a shoe deal with Converse that emphasized her commitment to social justice, Megan Rapinoe has forged a partnership with Nike for a curated footwear and apparel collection that highlights the causes she values. 
Rapino's partnership with Nike is dubbed Victory Redefined. And according to a press release, it focuses on, quote, reimagining the signature athlete partnership model into something more meaningful and having the potential to be a lightning rod for change in sport. Speaking about the deal, Rapino said, quote, when I spoke to Nike about the next chapter in our relationship, what excited us most was building something new. Not a new product, not a new campaign, but a new model for athlete partnerships. This is not about me and Nike. It's about what Nike and I can do together to redefine what victory means for all communities and all people. In other words, Rapino does not want to use her influence with Nike as a simple endorsement deal. She sees it as an opportunity to reach out to people who might not otherwise be heard. Victory Redefined appears to be the latest step in making an athlete's social justice advocacy an integral part of their corporate partnerships. It also suggests that Converse's deal with, with Natasha Cloud was not a one-off aberration during a summer of heightened social awareness. So Gabe, what are you expecting from the Victory Redefined campaign? I mean, this is kind of cool. It's, it's interesting to see you know, one of these corporate... Um or these companies actually trying to do something with, uh, I guess, like these superstars, but it's basically talking about, you know, people and their background and stuff like that. Not so much. I mean, of course they want to make money and sell shoes and sell apparel and stuff like that, but kind of going into stories and actually going into these communities where people aren't being heard. I think it's awesome. The different way to get out there and highlight, you know, different parts of our country, different parts of the world and get athletes, you know, that normally don't get the spotlight actually heard. Yeah. No, I think that's right. And um, kudos to Megan Rapino. She obviously makes a ton of money for Nike, so has a lot of leverage with them. Yeah. And, you know, good on her for um, wanting to do more than just sell more shoes with that <laughs> uh, leverage. Um, obviously, I think both Rapino and Nike are going to make a ton of money off of this deal. It's not like they're you know, doing this just out of the goodness of their own hearts. But I believe that this is a legitimate desire to also um, foster a positive change in the in society at large, which, you know, who can quibble with that? <laughs> people yeah. who are angry about her subway ads. Right. I mean, people will be mad at Megan Rapino forever. <laughs> but like, honestly, <laughs> she I just wants well, to I help kids and underserved communities so you know yeah they'll cancel her for a sandwich but i don't think they'll do this for sure you know, no i mean but people also let's you know people are still mad that megan kneeled with colin so you know it, it, people, against Trump, but that's good i mean she's she's making herself heard and you know just because you're you don't agree with it so what no that's that's 100 percent right yeah so. Little snowflakes. Calm down, snowflakes. <laughs> <laughs> also, Megan Rapinoe is beautiful and smart and funny, and she can do whatever the fuck she wants as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> exactly. Tell me about your nephew's Little League game. <laughs> yeah, I went to my nephew's uh, t-ball game, and it was cute to see little four-year-olds to six-year-olds playing t-ball. And there was this one... <laughs> boss ass little girl who basically tagged everyone out she she had like all 18 or whatever like outs it was insane you're like <laughs> don't hit it to the girl she's gonna get you out you know and those kids can't like, control no, where they hit good. the ball <laughs> <laughs> that's great yeah I, I mean little kids sports 
sometimes it's hard because the games can like drag on forever and ever but it's always super fun to see like kids getting excited and like discovering sports for the first time and getting like really into it it's i love it oh yeah they, and they lost 20 to zero but they didn't care because they got pizza afterwards so they were happy i'm shocked they even keep score i remember when my niece was doing t-ball so the one rule that drove me nuts was that every single inning the entire batting order batted like there was they did not count outs they let everybody bat let everybody bat wow every inning so you had nine oh, freaking no. batters i mean i think they only played like four innings or something but like it took forever because nine people had to bat and like you would never get out so like it's t-ball most of the kids could hit the ball off the tee but some of those kids it took them like eight swings to hit the ball yeah. off the tee you're like okay this is never gonna end <laughs> so this one they did they did the three outs but they also did if you scored five runs that was the end oh so i mean that's why they lost 20 to zero <laughs> interesting okay yeah no that's good i'm glad that you got to do that i'm glad that you are doing holiday travel gabe is doing texas mexico and puerto rico and i will be yes and i will be heading to aruba next week so we're covering a lot of the warmer climates for y'all we'll let you know (laughs) how that goes (laughs) but we do have one more episode coming out um next monday a week from today on the 27th so check that out it will be our season finale yes and we'll bring you all the sports from countries that are in warmer climates (laughs) also everyone mask up and get vaccinated because omicron is no joke yeah and i have this vacation planned so you know we got to get we got to get our shit together okay that's this week's under the bleachers roundup of things queer things sports and things at the intersection of sports and queer We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to share our interview with Team DC member club, the DC Gales. Welcome back to Under the Bleachers. Today we have Alice and Rebecca from the DC Gales. How are you all doing? Thanks for coming on to the podcast. We're we're good. Thank you. And thank you for having us. We're excited to talk about our weird and wonderful sport. Yeah, (laughs) we are excited too. Um, so let's just start right from the top. What is, what are the DC Gales? What do you do? What's your mission and uh, what sports do you play? So the Washington DC Gales is an amateur sports club in the DC area that promotes Irish sports, um, which includes Gaelic football, camogie and hurling. We've been around since 1988 when our club was founded with just football and we've added the other sports over the years. And this year we are excited to start our youth program, which I think we've attempted in the past, um, but we're hoping to use this to kind of launch us forward and keep the youth program going. So I don't think everybody knows necessarily what Gaelic sports are all about. So can you give us sort of a brief explanation of the various sports and maybe some comparisons that people might be familiar with? Yeah, uh, of course. So we have kind of two sports. There's Gaelic football, and then there's also camogie. Now, you can tell from my accent, I'm Irish. I grew up in Ireland. I just moved to DC this year. And even I struggle to find a way to explain like Gaelic football. So our favorite way to try to explain it is it's like soccer with your hands. Um, it involves catching, picking and hand passing the ball with the intention of getting the ball into um, the goal, which is like a big soccer net net but then there's also uprights which is similar to like an american football style um goalpost so it's three points to get it in the goal and then it's one point if you get it over the bar 
Okay. And then, yeah, and Kamogi, since Alice did all the hard work there <laughs> by explaining the gist of it, Kamogi and hurling is the exact same field set up, the same um, positions for players, um, and the same scoring mechanism with the three points in the goal and the one point between the uprights. But the biggest difference is this one is a stick that's called a hurl, which is where you get the name hurling from, and a little tiny ball that's equivalent to like a baseball called a hitter. Um, and you use that as your equipment. That's the ball you're trying to get through the goal versus the big um, football, which looks actually more like a volleyball. So Kamogi and hurling, we always kind of explain it as a mix between field hockey and lacrosse. As a non-field hockey and lacrosse player, I hope that that's accurate, but that's kind of what we've been sticking to, at least since I've been playing. I mean, I've seen it played and it looks a lot like lacrosse. I don't, that's all I can say, right? The sticks look pretty similar and the passing, way of passing is pretty similar. Um, So that's really cool. I have one question. I um, wasn't sure about this. Is Gaelic football a full contact sport? Right. So um, is it a full contact sport? Not exactly. Actually, what I have found is I'm a soccer player by nature. And so it's a lot like soccer with like the side to side um, bumping, if you will. Um, But it's a lot less aggressive than other sports. So we actually get a lot of retired rugby players where they find that Gaelic football is a nice um, alternative that's not quite as violent. Now, will you get leveled on the field at some point? Possibly, but we we don't aim for that. Perfect if you're marking me. All right, so is there room uh, with the DC Gales for inexperienced players? Oh, absolutely. Like, even as I said, I'm Irish, but I never play. Well, I'll backtrack. I did play until I was about eight years old, and I realized that I wasn't really good enough to make the team back in Ireland, so I stopped playing. (laughs) And so when I moved here, I was quite worried that maybe I wouldn't be good enough. Maybe they'd have expectations. Ask, like, I'm Irish. I'll know the sport. She'll be really good. And it wasn't like that at all. Everyone was so nice, so inclusive, just like showing me the skills, helping me out. And we have many players that come that never, at least I maybe had some understanding of the rules and the setup, but they just walk in and they're like, I don't know what's happening here. (laughs) And everyone is just like amazingly nice and helps everyone. So yes, don't let that stop you. If you want a good laugh with some exercise, like come out, come to us. We'll we'll show you a good time. Yeah, that's great. Do you have um, coaches that help teach the skills or are you player coached? We are player coaches. So I currently coach the ladies football team. Um, And so it can be a little difficult as a player coach because usually I'm screaming from the field, which I learned, I think this year, somebody finally told me that the front line can't actually hear me. So it's, it's all for naught, but, um, but most of the time we have player coaches. Um, Sometimes we're lucky that someone who is retired or maybe injured for the season um, we'll be able to step up and coach us. Cool. And so um, what's your season like? Is it, is it a fall sport? Is it an all year sport? When do y'all play? Yeah. yeah. Here in DC, we are a spring and summer sport essentially. So we usually start in March or April, depending on how cold it is outside and how enthusiastic people are to start. Um, but our first games are usually in April, if not May. And then our regular season is essentially May through August, and it culminates with what we call the USGAA finals. Um, So the US Gaelic Athletic Association that is hosted every year in a different city. So 2022 will be hosted in Chicago. Last year we were in Boston and the year before that was COVID. So then 2019, we actually hosted out in Leesburg, Virginia. So um, we get to travel around each year, but our season will typically end once the USGA finals have come. 
Okay. Do you, um, where do you play like your regular season matches? Is it against all other towns, local towns, or do you, where do you travel to for those? Yeah. So we try, we like to be as local as possible. So we're in the mid-Atlantic region um, with the GAA. And so there are clubs in Richmond, Virginia, Norfolk, Virginia, Baltimore, Maryland, and then um, Alexandria, Virginia or Frederick, Maryland. Um, they combined this last year. So those are our local clubs and we usually play them the most, but some of our sports don't have, some of our sports aren't represented in each of those clubs. So in those cases, we usually have to go outside of our division. Um, so we will also go to Philly, Pittsburgh. Um, we've been down to Charlotte and Raleigh, and then sometimes we'll go to New York. And uh, do y'all do fundraisers? How do you, how does the team travel together? Do you, does everybody have to pay their own way or does the team kind of help out together? Uh, yeah, everyone basically um, pays their own way, but we all, a lot of the members will have cars. So there's a lot of kind of carpooling. Um, the only time we ever really got an airfare is if when we're going to the um, USGA finals, like they were in Boston this year. So we, well, a couple of people drove and a couple of people fly. So we try to be as supportive as each other and understand everyone has different financial needs. Um, do you have uh, events or activities that you all participate in as a team off of the, is pitch the right word for Gaelic football? <laughs> yeah, it is pitch. That's perfect. Um, we, I also still call it a field, so you'll get, you'll get a mix of both. Um, yeah. So we do a lot of stuff off the field too. Um, any of the traditional Irish things around the area, you'll probably see is at so the Alexandria and Washington, DC, Gale, Washington, DC, Gales, the Washington, <laughs> DC, um, the Irish American, what do we call it? The Irish American Heritage Day at Nationals Park um, and the Embassy Day. Every year they do the Embassy Day. So we usually go to the Irish Embassy. So those are some of our go-tos on events. For fun, we will sometimes host fundraisers. I think one of our favorites so far has been Flip Cup. And um, we've done a Flip Cup tournament before. We've done other kinds of uh, fundraisers, just depending on what we're trying to do for the year or what's available to us. And then the nice thing is we also are, we're all friends for the most part off the field too. So I know I'm stealing Alice's thunder. She was going to tell you about our, our Halloween party, but um, a, a group of us from the football team went out and just enjoyed Halloween together. We went out as Alice in Wonderland. You can guess who Alice was. Um, <laughs> it was quite difficult and I was trying to pay my tab and they were like, what's the name on the bill? I was like, Alice, they're like, we get it, but what's the name on the bill? I was like, still, no, still Alice. Alice. <laughs> still Alice. <laughs> yeah, so we try, to, we try to have fun, just as much fun on the pitch as we do off the pitch. I think a lot of the time too, when we're trying to arrange things it's like what does what do we want to do that weekend um over the summer we went tubing as a group and um, we also we have a weekend away planned in a cabin in november um i never went to a baseball game so i was like here let's go to a baseball game and we can have as much as maybe three girls join to 13 girls join like it's open to everyone but we do we, we try to make it as like as many social events as we can to like keep up a team spirit and everything so it is great yeah, that sounds great. So can you share a personal experience about how joining the DC Gales has impacted your own life? So when I moved out to DC about 10 years ago, um, I didn't know anybody except for a handful of people that I'd gone to college with. So being able, I mean, really my intro to the Gales was going out for drinks with the girl that I knew on the team getting roped into walking in the St. Patrick's Day Parade the next day, which of course leads to the Irish bar at the end. 
And at the Irish bar at the end, as you're having pints with everyone else, it's so you're on the team now, you're part of the club now. (laughs) And it really wasn't a question. It was a statement. And I, I really think that that kind of spoke volumes to the group that I was getting involved with. And it, you know, it, it wasn't something to think about. It was just like, I mean, I guess I'm doing this now. And it's been one of the best decisions I've been like without the gales in it. Yeah, I think my experience is quite similar. Um, I moved here just about 10 months ago. It's just me and my boyfriend. We moved over from Ireland. We knew nobody. There was no way to like meet people because it was kind of COVID. We were quite, we didn't know how to branch out and meet people. So we just joined the DC Gales. And these these girls now are like my family. Like last weekend, we went out and we had a Halloween party on Saturday. Me and Becca went for a hike on Sunday. It's just, it's it's nice to have friends that outside your work, when you move somewhere for work and you're surrounded by the same people all the time, it's nice to get a break and a breather. And it's just like impacted my life so positively. Like these girls are my friends and I'm just so grateful to have them. Yeah, we hear stories like that a lot. You know, I think a lot of people in their adult life find that it's hard to find ways to make friends and meet people with similar interests and things like that. And sports teams and recreation leagues are just such a fantastic way to do it. Um, My rugby team is definitely my family. And I'm also so intimidated. I remember when we first came, um, Matt, my boyfriend was like, oh, we're just going to join. We're going to join. I was like, I can't kick a football. I was like, they're not going to want me on the team. I, I felt like I was like... I don't know 10 been picked for a sport again where no one wants to but it's nothing like that and I really really want to stress that to anyone listening like if you just want a good time and some great girls or like and the lab there's I'm lads so then a boys team as well so like it's it's a great place and we are a family in a community awesome um so the DC Gales recently joined our organization Team DC And we're really excited to have you guys. And um, as I think you know, Team DC's mission centers around inclusivity and particularly promotion of sports participation in the LGBTQ community. I know that the Gales aren't technically a quote, you know, gay team, but um, can you share a little bit about um, why inclusivity in your sport is important to you personally or to the DC Gales as an organization? Absolutely. Yeah, the when they put up the post that said we were partnering with you guys, I was really excited. Um, it's just nice to see our involvement in the community and reaching out to other groups and, and to be a part of something like that. Um, and and specifically with our club with the inclusivity, I know Alice kind of said that we're a community and we're a family, and it really it does feel like that. It's it there is the sports that's why we're there, but you become something, you become part of this community that embraces who you are and where you've come from being in dc it's such a transient city that we're all coming from somewhere else different backgrounds um, different lifestyles different countries and so being able to come together in one space where you can be yourself and be supported um, i think it's really important and i'm and i'm excited that our our club is is part of that alice is there anything you wanted to add no i just like really alliterate what like Becca saying it's such an inclusive environment like it's just it is it's it's a brilliant place and I've never really experienced such a community and group of people that are so willing to accept they they don't care provided you'll kick a ball on the pitch and come have a laugh in in a bar afterwards and not even I know we talk about drinking and socializing (laughs) there's many people on our team that don't drink alcohol, so <laughs> that's not a requirement. <laughs> the only thing that we ask is people come with an open heart and an open mind, and after that, you're welcome to our team. 
Awesome. I will say there's one funny story that I do want to share. Um, Alice didn't know I was going to say this, but uh, talking about like GAA being a community. So her first day of practice, I think we had emailed once. We've never met. Um, I was driving like a bat out of hell because the field we were going to use was booked. Like, and so we went to another one and I came back to the pitch and I saw Alice or who I thought was Alice, but I knew it was Alice because she had on the GAA shorts. So GAA shorts, like, you know, basketball shorts are longer. Sports have different rugby shorts are much shorter. You know, it all depends on your sport. Well, GAA shorts have a very particular look and they all have like the crest in one spot. So I literally rolled down the window and I was like, you're wearing GAA shorts. Are you Alice? And she was like, she was, Hey, you, (laughs) you Alice, they're GAA shorts. (laughs) And from that, I mean, the rest of the story, her parents would be horrified that she actually got in the car with a stranger (laughs) as we drove around to the next pitch to find the field. But, um, but I mean, that goes back to like the community, right? Like even the clothing, you can tell who might be somewhat involved with the community. Um, So I think that just kind of, goes to show that we we are a big community and a big family. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Well, Rebecca and Alice, I want to thank you so very much for taking time out of your evening to talk to us. We are super excited to have the DC Gales as part of the Team DC family. Um, Before we let you go, can you let everyone know where they can go to find more information about the DC Gales and what they should do if they're interested in coming out? Uh, yeah, so we have a website. It's the dcgales.com, spelled D-C-G-A-E-L-S.com. And I'm saying that because I was telling a girl today at work how to, like, look us up. I was like, oh, like, just type us in. And the way she spelled that, I thought she battered the word Gaelic. And my, and my soul hurt. <laughs> and I was just like, I'm going to just maybe spell it from now on. <laughs> we also have a Facebook page, which is Washington DC Gales. Um, and I think we're most active on our Instagram page, um, which is just the DC Gales. So you'll find us on them three places. Ask for if you want to contact us. Um, oh, yeah. So if you, if you go to any of those places that Alice is saying, there's a way to get a hold of us and reach out to us. If you're interested and you reach out via the website, Facebook or Instagram, someone will receive your message and they will get you to the sport that you might be interested with um, so that they can get you in touch with that coach or whoever's running the program at the time. Great. And when does your next season start? Yes. So we are just finishing up. Um, I guess I didn't mention this. My bad. We do sometimes do like a winter or fall season. So we're just finishing that up most likely this week. The weather gets too cold and we don't really like that. Um, so we hope to be kind of back out on the pitch either February or March with our off season. Definitely March or April with our full season. Um, so if anybody, if you're maybe not interested in playing, but you want to come out and watch, we would love to have supporters out. Um, our schedule is always posted on our website and on our social media. Awesome. Well, thanks again. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening to this episode of Under the Bleachers. Under the Bleachers is proudly produced by and a product of Team DC. For more information about Team DC, please visit www.teamdc.org. We want to give credit to Ralph Elston for the design of our logo. Also, our music is provided by DC's Different Drummers Marching Band and was composed by Travis Gettinger. You can always find Under the Bleachers at underthebleachers.podbean.com and on all major podcast apps, including Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and share us with a friend who might enjoy listening. 
Under the Bleachers is hosted by Team DC board members Laura Frere and Gabriel Hernandez. All views and opinions expressed are solely those of the host and participants of Under the Bleachers and do not express the views of Team DC.